0: Hey y'all, Sam here. I have a favorite to ask. We on the show here, we're like a little over two years old. And you know when a baby gets to be a toddler, things start changing. They start walking, exploring, showing personality, et cetera. This show is doing that as well. We're going to begin to make some changes on this show. And we want your input as we grow. So let us know how to make this show better. Go to npr.org slash samsurvey and answer all the questions npr.org/samsurvey. Thank you.
1: Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt daddy This week on the show, host of NPR's Embedded Kelly mcgevers and Los Angeles Times national correspondent covering 2020 Matt Pierce. All right, let's start the show.
0: Hey, y'all. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Happy weekend to my listeners and to my guests. Kelly McEvers NPR correspondent And host of the NPR podcast Embedded And Matt Pierce 2020 campaign reporter For the LA Times Covering the 2020 election Hello Cray Cray I can't believe You even have time To be here Thanks for being here I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> good, 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 good. We are joined right now in studio by the sounds of the Lion King.
1: Meticulous planning,
0: This is a new version of Be Prepared, sung by Scar, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, Four in the new Lion King. Right,
1: the live action. Yes. Yes, my teeth and ambitions are Be
0: prepared. Do we like that?
2: I, <laughs> I approve. I'm into it. He I'm didn't sing it. it. He just, like, whisper be spoke
0: bah, it. Pre- it. He's supposed to be, prepared.
3: Right? Didn't Elton John come out this week and say, like, they messed up the music? Yes, this yeah. is why I'm playing oh, it. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm
0: playing this updated version of Be Prepared as recorded by Chuito it because Elton John, who wrote this music in the 90s with Tim Rice for the original... He said this week in a wide-ranging interview with GQ magazine, the new version of The Lion King was a huge disappointment to me because I believe they messed the music up. The magic and joy were lost.
2: Uh, I I don't know. I mean, like the
0: the performance. Let's play the original for a second so we can hear... Mm. The old one back in the day with Jeremy Irons.
3: I know it sounds sordid, but you'll be rewarded. Yeah, well, this is more sh- this is this show, I mean, this is show business. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. This is but Broadway, baby. Of course Elton likes this version. Although,
0: Elton, I'm sure you had to sign off for them to use your music oh, in the he's new fine one. So you still got that check. check. You can't have it both ways, <laughs> no, Elton. He's fine. Moving on. We have to, well, not have to, we're going to. We're going to start the show with news. <laughs> okay. You know, official, real, news, news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, As always, I ask my panelists to describe their week of news in only three words. Kelly, you have three words I do. this week on a story that confuses me more and more every day. Yes. Syria. Yeah. Okay. Pause or ceasefire? Okay, because a ceasefire was declared
3: Thursday? Right. So you have the White House saying like, look, we sent Vice President Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo over to Turkey and look what we got. We got this great ceasefire. We stopped Turkey from its attack on uh, civilians and fighters in the Kurdish region of Syria. Yay, look at us, go. Mm-hmm. And then immediately um, you had Turkish officials and American officials being like, actually, we didn't call it a ceasefire. We called it a pause. Huh. It's a pause in the fighting. I mean, How long of a pause? Parsing the two things a few days, about a five days, right? Parsing the two things, I don't think that's really important. I think what's important is the White House, the administration trying to overplay its role and saying, look what we
0: did. Well, this is par for the course for them because every few months they'll say, we got a big trade deal with China or Mexico or Japan. And then you read the details and it's like, they're talking about possibly doing something someday. But look, this is what Turkey
3: wanted. Really? This isn't some great, like, look what we've done. We've saved the people. Turkey wanted. Wanted the Kurdish fighters out of this area and they're getting out of the area. So it wasn't like this big negotiation, right? It wasn't this big like we went and we hammered out a deal. It's like this is exactly what Turkey wanted.
0: Yeah. Since Trump announced that he was going to pull out about 1,000 troops from Syria, there has been strong and visceral reaction from the left, from the right, from oh, yes. experts saying yep. this is a very, very bad thing to do for our interest and for the Kurds. Kelly, you lived and worked in the Middle East for years. You probably know more than most people how big of a deal this is.
3: I mean, we heard this, you know, I mean, Matt, I'm sure you've heard this a lot from political candidates. Um, We obviously heard a ton about it in the debate the other night. You know, the Kurdish forces have been our allies for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And. Um, these are people, it goes way, 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 way back. They want one thing and one thing alone. They want autonomy, right? Mm. They want independence. Mm. Kurds live in Syria, Iraq, Turkey, Iran. They live in all these different countries. They've wanted autonomy for a long time. They work with the United States because they know that working with the United States can help them try to reach that goal. It looked like they were getting there in Syria and then all of a sudden, poof. Yeah. 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 And so the question is like, President Trump said something like, let them fight it out. There's like a plenty of sand. Of kids. Let the kids fight it out. And then you eventually pull them apart. Right. And that's sort of his diplomacy um, in a place like this, in a very volatile place like this, that is a dangerous game. Yeah. And it is one that actually could affect us and our national security.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think Donald Trump has been pretty open about wanting to get out of Afghanistan as well. But this is where the complications of foreign policy you know, the reality hits the road, which is, you know, they're bargaining with the Taliban to get out of Afghanistan, to get right. out of this forever war that we've been in since 2001 in that region. And yet by, you know, so transparently communicating to the Taliban during negotiations, you know, what the nation's position is, it, it kind of actually undercuts your position because exactly. then that puts the Taliban in a stronger position yes. to bargain for better terms when you leave. Exactly. Which is exactly
3: what happened in Syria. By saying in December, I want troops out of Syria. That signaled to Erdogan. Erdogan knew exactly what Trump's position was, and he could plan this assault from that day. And that's exactly what he did. And he knew he was in a position of power. And who is on top now? Erdogan,
0: Turkey. Just to note, listeners, we are taping this conversation about Syria Friday morning. So by the time you hear it, of course, some details may have changed. You are listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here in sunny Los Angeles with two great guests in studio Matt Pierce, 2020 campaign reporter for the LA Times, who managed to sneak off the debate watch campaign trail stuff to <laughs> hang with us for a while, and Kelly McEvers, NPR correspondent and host of the NPR podcast Embedded. Mm. So glad you both are here.
3: Thanks for having us. Thank
0: you. Of course. Uh, Matt, you have three words as well. Who's the enemy? Not me, (laughs) not me. Uh, No, who's the
2: enemy? Um, I watched this week's Democratic debate. Sorry about it. How long was it? It was. It was more than two hours. yeah, and so I one of these things I've been interested in, uh you know, this was the I believe is the fifth round of the Democratic debates. There's actually been so many of them I have to think about if that's accurate I know uh, and we are still
3: how far out of Iowa? There's uh, still more than a year away, before the yeah. This is yeah. this is
2: a War and Peace novel. Um <laughs> so the thing that you know was most immediately grabbing to me about this last debate was um The Democrats getting really down in the mud this time to fight each other. I mean, I I find that really interesting because when I've been out in Iowa talking to voters about past debates that they've watched, you know, I heard over and over again that they're tired of the negativity. Um, Overwhelmingly for them, um, for most of them, the biggest number one issue in this election is beating Donald Trump. But – in this last debate here, um, you saw some really personalized attacks that were new and and so the way that I'm focusing in on this is on,
0: on Mayor Pete who had... Yes, who was the most surprising because his whole shtick for a long time has been like nice Midwestern mayor. Right. Yeah. And he kind of Took the gloves off Mm -hmm. this week. Yeah, he he became Mean
2: Pete. You know, (laughs) you know, to use the professional wrestling metaphor, this was like a a
0: heel turn for him. Was there a certain moment that really showed the Mayor Pete gloves-off stance?
2: Yes, and 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 the one that I've just been really fascinated by is when he got into it with Beto O'Rourke over Mm, uh, gun control. Follow Mm.
0: their inspiration
2: and lead, and not be limited by the polls and the consultants and the focus groups. Let's do what's right we have time to do what's right. Mayor Buttigieg? The problem is in the polls, the problem is the policy. And I don't need lessons from you on courage, political or personal. Everyone on this stage is determined to get something done. Everyone on this stage recognizes... The the thing that I find really interesting, I mean, there are a couple of really interesting things that are happening in this exchange between Beto O'Rourke and Pete Buttigieg, which is Beto O'Rourke... Um, he's now saying, you know, we should have mandatory uh, buybacks of AR-15s, of assault rifles, which goes a step beyond where the rest of the field had been. So Pete here is saying, you know, you're pursuing this pie-in-the-sky policy. We don't really know how we're going to implement it. Um, And and so there was was an actual philosophical discussion here, but that line and the way that he delivered it to Beto O'Rourke, who has kind of taken this pretty aggressive position on gun control yeah. after a mass shooting Yeah, um, yeah. and who, w- you know, yeah. is a, a liberal Democrat from Texas.
0: Um, that I, was a strong response. That was a strong response. Yes. And I, it made me wonder why. Like, why well, did that happen? That I way think happened? I know why. And this is for both of y'all. You know, we noticed... And the 24 hours after that debate, Mayor Pete raised more than a million dollars. He got a viral moment that was on loop on these networks the whole day or two afterwards. And everybody was talking to him, right? If it's cynical or not, Mm. or a ploy or not. Kelly, like this stuff works, right?
3: I keep thinking about Cory Booker. Like every time they ask Cory Booker a question, or he had a chance, he's like, "Can we just pause?" They want us to do it. They want us to fight. That we, we, you know, everybody knows it works cynically, but like, don't do it, right? But isn't the lesson of twenty
0: sixteen the lesson uh, of Trump? The lesson of right now is the fight gets the attention, right, and gets you the money. And doesn't that
3: make you sad and just want to go to bed? I
0: mean, right (laughs) after the exchange with uh,
2: Buttigieg and Beto, um, Booker comes in with that. While those, like, I'm, you know, and they asked him. Like, Senator Booker, how do you feel about, uh, you know, this policy? This
3: this issue. And And he he starts starts
2: out by being like, I'm concerned about the way we're talking to each other. (laughs) Senator Booker, I want to give other candidates a chance. Senator Booker, what's your response to, to
0: Mayor Buttigieg?
1: Well... Look, I, I, again, worry about how we talk to each other and about each other and what this last week has shown.
0: To close, you know, on this idea of, America of America now we're in the season America. of fighting. We're in this season of fighting, still a year out of November elections. And I think <laughs> Sorry, but but I, I will say I think it's our fault the media you know quote unquote we've scheduled how many debates already and how many more to come we've made this season too long so what else are you going to do but fight
3: yes and I think the questions too I think a lot I thought a lot about the questions of course because we're in the business of asking questions yeah, right mm-hmm. but it's like there are like the is it, a, pick is it attacks on the middle class is it attacks on the middle class is it attacks on the middle yeah. class like hammering yeah. away on that is like is yeah. that's that's exactly what that's about is like to, to pointedly make clear what the divisions yeah, are exactly. and get people to fight yeah
0: mm-hmm. All right. Coming up, we check in on Facebook. Candidates like Elizabeth Warren are fighting Facebook head on, saying the company should be broken up. And after a big announcement a few months ago, we're finding out that this big Facebook plan to launch its own global currency, it's kind of floundering. We'll figure out what Facebook wants and if they can get it after the break. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sony Pictures Entertainment, presenting Black and Blue, the high-stakes action thriller in theaters October 25th, starring Academy Award nominee Naomi Harris as a rookie cop who inadvertently captures a murder on her body cam. She teams up with the only person willing to help her, Tyrese Gibson, as she tries to escape from both the criminals out for revenge and the police who are desperate to destroy the body cam footage. Don't miss Black and Blue, only in theaters October 25th.
3: Maddie Safaya here, host of Shortwave, a new daily science podcast from NPR. We'll bring you new discoveries, everyday mysteries, and the science behind the headlines, all in about 10 minutes every weekday. So you come away a little smarter, or at least you look that way, on Trivia Night. Listen and subscribe now to Shortwave
1: from NPR.
0: We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined in studio with – joined in studio by Tuget. Joined with – Joined by – There's one of them. Kelly McEvers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, NPR correspondent and host of the NPR podcast Embedded and Matt Pierce, 2020 campaign reporter for the LA Times covering – 2020. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing. All of it. How tired are you right now? (laughs) I'm status bar 60%. (laughs) That's not bad. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Question for you both. Have you been following all this Facebook drama recently over political ads on the platform? Yes. Yeah. Long story short, liberals are mad at Facebook for allowing conservative politicians to air ads that contain mistruths. In response, Democratic candidate Elizabeth Warren, she purposefully posted a fake political ad on Facebook this month, which said that Zuckerberg supports Trump, kind of daring Zuckerberg to take this thing off the platform. Mm -hmm. He did not. Mm -hmm. In fact, Mark Zuckerberg gave this big speech this week at Georgetown to defend this pretty wide open policy of free speech on Facebook. We have some tape.
2: Practically, even if we wanted to ban political ads, it's not even clear where you draw the line. There are many more ads about issues than there are directly about elections. Would we ban ads about healthcare or immigration or women's empowerment? And if you're not going to ban those, does it really make sense to give everyone else a voice in political debates except for the candidates themselves? So there are going to be issues any way you cut this.
0: Whatever happens, I don't think this fight's over anytime soon, and I'm also just curious as to how Facebook is doing after, gosh, a few years of really bad press coverage. So I called up my friend, Molly Wood. She is the host of Marketplace Tech and the Marketplace podcast, Make Me Smart. I asked her about Mark Zuckerberg's fight with politicians like Warren uh, and all of Congress as well to see who will win and what's really going on.
1: This question of misinformation on Facebook obviously has only gotten stronger by the minute since roughly 2016. And I think there are a lot of questions... That go beyond just, you know, it's one thing to say there's an ad on Facebook. It's another thing to say that ad might show up in Facebook's algorithm and be promoted to a bunch of users. Mm -hmm. And then it's a whole other thing when you say an army of bots might share that ad 10 million times, giving it way more attention than it ever had before. So it's not, you know, I think Mark Zuckerberg is trying hard right now to make this about speech, Mm -hmm. but it's also very much about technology. And that's the part that's made it such a mess.
0: So in this fight between Zuckerberg and Capitol Hill, the face of it has become Elizabeth Warren, Democratic frontrunner for 2020. And she's kind of thrown egg in Zuckerberg's face by running this false ad on his platform, Facebook, that says falsely that he has endorsed Trump. Um, This seems like a very strange battle. She's also argued that his company be broken up. What does it mean to see someone like her? Publicly say, "Yeah, Zuck, bring it on."
1: It is, you know, it is. There is speculation that, you know, in some ways, taking on Facebook is sort of an argument that everybody can understand. That it's a, it's a company where where consumer sentiment is not strong. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Now that said, I, I do think it's fair to ask whether consumers are sitting here thinking, "Sure," <laughs> but <laughs> there are some pretty big problems in the world. And yeah. so it's going to be interesting to see whether that actually works as a campaign tactic, because even I, who have a lot to say about Facebook, I mean, we could do this for a while, Sam, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> am thinking maybe it's not the number one item on the agenda.
0: So then in the midst of all this ambiguity and, and and confusion over what the role of companies like Facebook should be, Mark Zuckerberg has been making the rounds. He gave a big speech at Georgetown this week all about free speech and how he wants Facebook to help protect that American ideal. What stood out from that speech for you?
1: You know, a couple things stood out. One is that he referred to Facebook as something new. He said this is almost like – and and when he says Facebook, it's a shorthand for the internet. Heaven help us. Um, <laughs> but that the internet and digital communication is almost like a fifth estate, like a mm. new form of information dissemination that we – really do have to figure out how to work with, whether that's with regulation or you know consumer understanding of how to interpret information we see there. And I think that was actually notable and really smart. Hmm. I think that Mark Zuckerberg, however, is still not owning up to the role of the technology here, the role of the manipulation that can happen on the platform, the bots, the fact that these ads may not be taken out by real people at all, that they then might be amplified by his own algorithm and served up Mm -hmm. to you know, people who didn't ask for them. So yeah. I, it's one thing to say, I am defending the principles of free speech, but free speech is now existing in a in a way that it's never existed before. And I think he needs to get a little more real with himself and us about that.
0: Stop getting polite. Wait, stop being polite and start getting real. Is that the, <laughs> the real world slogan? Life lessons. You know, and so we have this one fight over free speech and politics in which Facebook seems to hold a lot of power over a very big thing Speech, but you compare that to their other fight in which they kind of look to be blundering and losing. This is uh, their recent push to create their own global currency called Libra. (laughs) They had this big flashy announcement a few months ago, basically saying, We're making our own money now, get in line. And so this week, though, there's news out that basically says Libra is failing big time. A lot of the big partners for this thing are pulling out, and Libra's not going to happen. What does that say about the global strength of this company or perhaps its global overreach?
1: I mean that to me says really a lot about the Facebook brand and mm. the and the fact that Facebook, you know, for all of its attempts to convince people, regulators, consumers, partners, it seems like people and companies and regulators just didn't buy it. I mean, what's so interesting is the disconnect because mm. I think Facebook probably assumed we will announce this. People will want to get on board. Mm-hmm. And you still see this, I think, with the the strength of sort of employee support within Facebook, that there is still really a strong alternate reality.
0: Alternate that, reality. Wow.
1: Uh, well, I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like Silicon Valley depends on a lot of alternate reality.
0: <laughs>
1: huh. Like out here in the Valley, people think that life is one way. And I think they did run into sort of a buzzsaw of reality And have to pull back. But honestly, I I wouldn't necessarily say, even though Libra was half-baked at launch, Mm -hmm. I'm still also not going to say that it's dead.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So then thinking about what Facebook's alternate reality might be, is the powerful Facebook that has the ability to change the course of elections and alter what we think of as free speech the real reality for Facebook? Or is the company that struggled with Libra and floundered and bumbled and overreached. Is that the reality of Facebook? Which version of this company is real? And bigger question, should we then actually be scared of Facebook or not?
1: This is the moment when I kind of want to say like, it's, it's okay if we don't know exactly what to do because nothing like this has ever existed. Uh. On the one hand... Yes, there you know there it's this brilliant guy and and this collection of really smart people who saw a lot of trends coming around digital advertising, around interconnection, uh around computer usage mm-hmm. and capitalized on them and made a lot of money. It's yeah. also a company who it, there's no reason to think that Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he's not the terminator like he didn't magically know <laughs> that 2 billion people were going to start using this platform and that people were going to figure out how to use it for misinformation. There's no – you can foresee a lot of unintended consequences, but not all of them.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, he just wanted to make an an app that would rate hot students at his undergrad, right? He
1: did. Like, he just wanted this one simple thing. You know, we're all so mad at him now. Poor Mark. I think we yeah, – all right. Well, okay. Okay. Let's not you – know, let's not take it too far. But – his ambition is not dimmed. And so I think we're going to need as consumers and human beings to figure out how to build up some immunity to mm. the information that we see on these platforms. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to need a whole lot of new regulation. But I don't, mm-hmm. it's not like the answer to these questions is sitting there and somebody's refusing to implement it. It actually is really complicated and difficult, which I know we're not good at in America right now. But yeah. that's kind of the truth.
0: Thank you, Molly Wood. I appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Thanks again to Molly Wood, host of Marketplace Tech. Uh, she, along with friend of the show, Kai Rizdal, hosts a really great podcast called Make Me Smart. I was on that show once, it's super fun. Matt, Kelly, my big question that I cannot figure out is like, are we overreacting to Facebook? Is this a company that represents the end of civil discourse and moral <laughs> decay? Or is it just a tech company full of folks who are a little too big for their britches and in a few years they'll end up like MySpace? <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted about this because, you know, as a, as a journalist,
2: you know, I, I do appreciate the way that these platforms have enabled a lot more people to make their voices heard in a way that wasn't possible before. Yes. You know, the problem here is that the consequences for bad speech are... are very diffused now you know if you're you know if i'm i'm a journalist and if i lie and i make stuff up you know there are real professional consequences for me i get fired you know people might criticize my employer or boycott or whatever but if you have a ton of people who have been enabled to say false things or defamatory things you know there aren't really i mean there may be personal consequences for them but there's not you know they're the incentives go the wrong direction and so that to me is one of the biggest problems yeah yeah
0: Facebook's status update right now is simply time will tell. <laughs> All right, it's time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? You're, yeah, you were listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. The following message comes from our sponsor,
2: Weston Hotels and Resorts. Chris Heisler, Global Run Weston Concierge for Weston Hotels and Resorts, has experienced firsthand the joy of making it out for your morning run while traveling.
0: Run Weston tries to take care of all of those obstacles and give you a reason to wake up next morning and feel good about going for that run. We have gear lending, so you pay five bucks, you'll send you up a pair of running shoes and socks to go for that run or walk. Every Weston Hotel has a map at the front desk that offers you either a three-mile route or a five-mile route. Now we have over 200 run conciers around the world, and that, to me, is very powerful. They're full-time associates. They might be the bellman, they might be the general manager, they might be the executive chef, but they're so passionate about running that they lead a run for guests twice a week.
2: I think there's something quite authentic about that experience. Explore at Weston.com, a member of Marriott Bonvoy.
0: Hey, it's Guy Raz here, host of the TED Radio Hour from NPR. And on our latest episode, we're exploring anger, What it is when you feel it, whether some get to feel it more openly than others, and why. Listen now. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, joined in studio by two guests, Matt Pierce, 2020 campaign reporter for the LA Times, and Kelly McEvers, host of the NPR podcast Embedded. Y'all, it is time for my favorite game. Who said that?
3: This way Who said that? Who said that?
0: Let said it play. That? Let Who it play. Oh, it? Oh, I love it. I'll Y'all know, you know how game. this game goes. You're both veterans of it. Actually, you can turn it off now. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs>
3: no, no, but no, but no. <laughs>
0: Sorry. <laughs> uh, this game is quite simple. I share three quotes from the week. You have to guess who said that, or at least get the story that I'm referring to. Wait,
3: do we have to just call it out? I forgot to call
0: was. it out. No buzzers.
3: Oh, Matt okay. is putting his I'm game face on. I'm, I'm focusing, looking at you. you. Yeah.
0: Here we go. First quote. It's older than my age, so I'm pretty thrilled with it. An athlete who made history this week.
3: Billie Jean King.
0: No, I love her. A very high-performing woman athlete. It's older than my age. Serena. I'll give you a really big keyword: gymnastics. Simone, oh, Simone Biles. Biles. Yes. Oh, Kelly, Kelly, Gass- Gass- <laughs> if I <laughs> Kelly got it by here. So that was Simone Biles reacting to winning her 25th gymnastics gold medal. Oh. This week she won two goals at the world championships, and she became the most decorated gymnast in all of recorded history. She is only 22 two oh, God. So I see we were thrown we were like trying
3: to think of somebody older
0: she was saying that her number of medals is now more right. than her age I was thinking about Serena too uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. yeah, they've been naming moves after her yeah, because yeah, yeah, only yeah. she can do like them
3: like nobody nobody's ever been able to do
0: them before and she's always just like really cheerful and happy and optimistic yep. Simone Biles energy is what I want Yep. lucky to have her Kelly you're on your way to becoming the Simone Biles of who said that oh, you've got a point just like all the <laughs> all the medals alright next <laughs> quote ready with the consent of the parents and baseball fans at the Department of Justice, this request is unopposed.
2: Oh, this uh, federal judge, uh, or uh, letting an attorney. Uh
0: Postpone a case so they can go watch the World well, Series. Uh, yes, close enough. Close enough. Baseball. Yes.
3: Watch, watch a playoff game. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So
0: that was Senior U.S. District Court Judge Rosemary M. Collier granting a lawyer's request to postpone legal proceedings so he and his nine-year-old son could watch a Washington Nationals baseball playoff game. Uh, they are oh going God, to the we're World still Series. Talking about the <laughs> no, we are. So D.C. Yeah, hasn't sent the kidding. baseball team to the World Series since it's 1933. Fine. No, it's great. Kelly's Mac she likes the Dodgers
3: right I like the, the Dodgers too no 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 it's fine actually the Nats are a super fun team to watch right now oh like, nice save super, no they are they're like a super fun team to root for I actually mean that even though they beat the Dodgers <laughs> I'm
0: a Royals fan so I feel zero oh, emotions Royals. right now oh Royals congrats Nats fans I guess <laughs> <laughs> I love it uh, this game is tied oh which of you Uh-oh. will be the Nats and which will be the Dodgers watch it <laughs> gonna be the Royals final quote oh. are you ready just play the quote Hello Hello Let me out Who the f are you Hello? Alright, y'all hello? might not be able to guess who said it, but guess where that was said. What is the one place where you don't want to hear someone say, Hello, hello, let me out? It's dark in here. The one event where someone is supposed to be in the dark going down into the ground. A funeral. Yes,
2: I had heard about the story. I didn't know there was audio. There was audio. <laughs> I didn't know All right. Audio. So this story.
0: <laughs> Event. Yes, that was a voice of Shay Bradley. He was a prankster even in death. Before he died recently, he recorded some audio uh, to be played as his coffin was lowered into the ground at his funeral in Dublin, Ireland. The audio was his own voice saying, "Let me out, let me out." Then you hear knocking, and then the voice says, "It's dark in here." <laughs> Hello. uh, In a reaction that would not be my own, all the funeral goers laughed. I would have ran the heck out of that cemetery. I would have resuscitated my loved one and murdered
2: them. (laughs) Uh,
0: The only message that I would have pre-recorded to be played as my casket was lowered into the ground would be, You got me the cheap casket! I wanted the cherry wood. Uh, I will say, Matt, you lived through this competition you and did. you won it.
3: You, Simone Biles, did. It. Yes,
0: I guess you did. Congratulations. Congrats. Thank you. I That's just,
3: all you're gonna react. Well, no, I was just
0: thinking about what I would play if I was being lowered into the oh. ground, and I, you know, they'll never find me. Lucky charms. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Congrats to both of the contestants. All right now it's time to end the show as we always do we ask our listeners to share with us the best things that have happened to them all week we encourage folks to brag they always do anjali hit the tape
3: hey sam the best thing that happened to me all week is that i have jury duty yes i'm that kind of nerd i have wanted to do jury duty since i turned 18 and i am stoked have a
1: good week hi sam this is jenny And Nico. And the best thing that happened to us this week was that we got engaged. The best thing about this week was that after four years of studying and testing, I can finally call myself an architect.
2: The best thing that's happened to me this week is that I turned 50.
3: We bought a new home in the beautiful Black Hills of South Dakota.
2: The best part of my week was traveling to the Maryland Renaissance Festival. My husband and I took our almost three-year-old daughter to a fall festival
0: at a local orchard.
1: Hi Sam, this is Daphne. And the best thing that happened to me this week actually happened last week when we took a family trip to Ethiopia and took our almost eight-year-old son back to the land of his birth, where he had not been since he was 17 months old when we adopted him. It was a really eye-opening experience.
3: My name's Eve, and I'm calling from Denver. And the best thing that happened to me this week is in honor of National Coming Out Day,
1: my 14-year-old came out as transgender male to the entire family. And I am so happy and proud of him and so happy to have the family that I have. Thanks. Thanks, Sam. Love the show. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. That was beautiful Yeah I really love that yeah.
3: Matt and I both agreed silently that we like jury duty. I love jury I duty. I love okay. jury duty. Okay. Uh, Sam's like, okay, I asked the nerds. I Someone from getting evicted last time. Oh, that's oh, nice. Wow. That's nice. I just, because lo- I'm just like, look at all the people. Yeah. You know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Thanks to all those listeners you heard there Sarah, Ginny, and Nico, Greg, Dave, Linda, Chris, Rachel, Daphne, and Eve. Congrats to you and your child, Eve. Uh, thanks to everyone that shares these with us. We listen to all of them, even if we can't play all of them. Here on the show Keep them coming Record the sound Of your voice And send that voice file To me At samsanders At npr.org Samsanders At npr.org Thanks to my guests Who are always prepared Kelly McEvers NPR correspondent And host of the NPR podcast Embedded And Matt Pierce 2020 campaign reporter For the LA Times Covering 2020. Thanks for having us. Thank you. This week the show was produced by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, and Jason Fuller. Our fearless editors are Kitty Isley and Alex McCall. Our director of programming is Steve Nelson. Our big boss is NPR's senior VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Uh, and thanks to our engineer, Josh Newell. Woo. Closing out the show as we began the show with this lackluster remake of <laughs> Be Prepared from the Lion King reboot featuring a guy I like, Edgeo for? Perfectly serviceable.
3: He's singing sometimes. <laughs> this
0: song is likable enough. Yeah. Oh. This song is likable enough.
3: Is it electable? That's the question. <laughs> That's the question.
0: Alright, listeners, thanks so much for everything and all that you do. Don't forget to fill out that survey. Uh, till next time, I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.